Indie Cider, where we go beyond the game and meet the developers behind today's indie hits. It's Ken Gagney with Indie Cider on this week's show. A lot of people mention Lovecraft, and I think it makes sense to me why, because there is this sense of eldritch horror to everything, and uh, there's quite a lot of tentacles. That's Chris Gardner, one of the senior writers for Sunless Sea from Fail Better Games. This game came out in February for Steam, PC, Mac, and Linux, and is the sequel to Fallen London, which came out several years ago and is a browser-based cross between interactive fiction and choose-your-own-adventure. It is set in a dystopian Victorian era in which London has fallen into a subterranean realm. Everything is cast in shadow, including the ocean itself, and your job is to explore this brave new world in your little steamboat, basically. As you go from port to port, you can collect information, stories, reports, and more, and then report back to the Admiralty's office in London and be rewarded for your exploration. You can also collect missions and tasks, such as delivering cargo or passengers from one port to another, or you can trade supplies by buying them in one place and selling them at another for a higher rate, just like the old game Taipan. There are many ways to make your mark in the Sunless Seas. Just like Taipan, this is mostly a menu-driven game. As you arrive in each port, you'll be presented with a variety of options, such as visiting the local bar, or encountering some strangers, going for a walk along the dock, shopping in the shops, and the like. You also have menus that allow you to investigate your own boat and interact with your crewmen. All these variables and more have to be taken into account, lest you allow your crew to devolve into mutiny or even cannibalism. This is a dark game, and there will be a lot of deaths. In that sense, it is kind of like a roguelike. It's like a roguelike. I guess that makes it a roguelike-like or a roguelite. There is permadeath and randomly generated maps, but the turn-based aspect of rogues is limited to your exploration of the ports. Once you are actually at sea, it is real time. Now, again, you can exit into the menu to investigate your boat and your crew, but you are watching your boat chug along in real time, and you can steer left and right, turn your lights on and off, and as you encounter the various monsters that exist in the Undersea, you may engage in nautical battles, and these too occur in real time. You can click an icon to launch your torpedoes, but you'll have to wait for them to load the next one before you can fire, during which time they may ram your hull and sink you down into the Z. Alas! However, if you do die, but you have created an heir, you've been playing long enough that there is somebody to inherit your legacy, then you may not need to start from scratch. This is a complex game with a lot to think about and a lot to consider. In fact, I actually had trouble getting out of London, which is where the game starts, until I read the game's wiki and learned what all the terms were, like mirrors and echoes. Echoes, for example, are the game's currency. And there was also just one minute detail in the interface that prevented me from launching my ship in the very beginning of the game. That was, I think, my bad more than it was a UI error. So it's a game that you need to be ready to invest in, and many of my friends have done exactly that, including Mr. Wayne Arthurton, who was a great help in preparing for this week's interview. He has been playing this game for months. It did come out in early access last July, about a year after it was funded on Kickstarter. 
And this is certainly not Failbetter's first game in the Under Z. As I mentioned, this is the sequel to Fallen London. But also they made a game called Silver Tree, which was funded on Kickstarter. And they've also worked in some third-party properties, such as Dragon Age. You'll be hearing all about that and more on this week's episode. I'll be interviewing two of the staff members who worked on this game, as I mentioned, Mr. Chris Gardner, the senior writer, and also Mr. Liam Welton, one of the programmers and UI developers. Now, Liam and Chris were both dialing in from their homes in London, which has not fallen into the sea, but Liam's connection wasn't the best, and his audio wasn't the greatest, and in fact, he actually had to drop out about 10 minutes into the interview, at which point Chris took over and his audio was much crisper and clearer and easier to consume as a podcast, so I hope you'll stay through to at least that point in the interview. If you want to check out Sunless Sea for yourself, you can find it at the developer's website, which is failbettergames.com sunless, and you can find them on Twitter at Echo Bazaar. You can, of course, find this podcast at IndieCider.net, and that is both the audio version you're listening to now and the video edition, which is the interview you're about to hear paired with gameplay footage of Sunless Sea as I go about and basically let my seven crew members die on what doesn't even amount to a three-hour tour. If you'd like, you can leave a thumbs up or a comment on the YouTube video or a review in iTunes. Either of those would really help me out a lot. It's great to know that people are listening and are engaged in this podcast and leaving feedback, and your reviews also help other people find this podcast as well. Feel free to send a feedback to feedback at indiesider.net. In the meantime, here is this week's interview with the developers of Sunless Sea. Here today to talk about Fail Better Game Sunless Sea is Liam Welton, the programmer for the game, or one of them. Hello, Liam. Hi there. And we have Chris Gardner, the senior writer for Fail Better Games. Hello, Chris. Hi there. How are you gentlemen today? Very good. Yeah, fine, thank you. Excellent. Thank you for giving me a time out of your day. You're busy at work in London. I understand it has not yet fallen into the sea. Not yet. There is always time. No, no, always no, not, not <laughs> we're so close to the coast that uh, we'll, we'll be the first to know about it should, yeah. it, uh, should it happen. We're right at the mouth of the Thames, aren't we? All the more reason to follow you on Twitter for the late-breaking news. <laughs> All right, so obviously Sunless Sea is based on Fallen London, which was a browser-based game. But for those of us who haven't played Fallen London, will we have any difficulty diving into Sunless Sea, or do we really need that background? No, I don't think so. I think it, it, the, the approach we take is that um, uh, if you play one game, you will find more Easter eggs uh, and you will uh, in the other, and you will... Um, kind of see bits of the setting in a different light or from a different perspective. But you don't need to play one to play the other at all. They just complement each other. Yeah, there's it's it's got mechanical differences, but um, uh, thematically um, they're both quite sort of uh, self-contained. Um, so they obviously there's a I was going to say a shared law pool. I suppose it's all the same world. Yeah, but um, you find out. Uh, as much about the world in uh, both the titles independently. I, they complement one another, but they're not. It's not necessary for you to play uh, play both. Uh, many people do. Many people do that. You mentioned some mechanical differences. These games have a lot of similarities in terms of interface, but they're very different in terms of presentation and graphics. And a little bit in gameplay, Fallen London has been called by some a text adventure and Sunless Sea a roguelike. Would you consider these labels to be accurate? I think text adventure's fair, yeah. Um, it's Fallen London's a lot less linear mm-hmm. than the traditional text adventures are, but 
yeah. it is an adventure and it is conveyed entirely through text. So, you know, it'll do. Um, as a title. Yeah, <laughs> we, we will take it. Um, uh, roguelike's a bit, I don't know, roguelike's a bit trickier. What do you think, Liam? Um, so there's um, uh, the two things that, uh, you know, identify a roguelike um, are uh, randomness and um, uh, death, uh, recurring death. And uh, that's completely absent from Fallen London. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fallen London, you uh, can't die. Death doesn't really exist in Fallen London yeah. as a concept, even, um, which uh, which was actually kind of, um, that was a bit tricky from a law perspective when we decided we wanted to do a roguelike in the same universe. <laughs> why, why do people not die in the city of Fallen London, but they can die on the undersea? Um, but that was... Uh, a uh, bit of clever writing got us out of that uh, <laughs> uh, that problem, um, but yeah, I think I think roguelikes um, fair. Um, every time you uh, die in Sunless Sea, which happens frequently, it's a very difficult difficult game. Um, the uh, the world kind of resets, but the map changes, the environment changes. So there's this um, new sense of exploration. You've got to once again set out on your boat, uh, discover the the optimum sort of you know routes to different islands find those stories again so yeah i think i think roguelike is um i, I think actually uh roguelite which is um, often used as a, a slightly derogatory term term i don't i think that's probably acceptable it certainly doesn't obey the rules of a, a roguelike absolutely um but yeah. uh, there's definite uh, roguelike influences and i mean there's people who the def- the term roguelike begins and ends with ASCII two graphics, right? If you if you've got if you haven't got ASCII two graphics, you're not a roguelike. So it's a uh, and people spend a lot of time arguing about what is and isn't. But Sunless Sea has got some very strong roguelike elements. So um, people who like certain stuff about lo- roguelikes will like Sunless Sea, I think as well. And the, what you said, what Lynn just said about um, we had to we had this thing where in Fallen London you can't die in Sunless Sea. It's a major part of the gameplay. And uh, Liam said that some clever writing got around that. I feel like quite a number of times uh, we've had a, a, some, a, like a problem arise, which has been solved by Alexis, our CEO, going, hang on, I'll go and make something up and going away and inventing some story um, justification to, to make it all make sense again. Like um, when you added snow in, Liam, into Sunless Sea, you added all this snow animation and... Uh, uh, we, we lecture went, oh, hang on, we're underground. No, wait, I'll make something up. And <laughs> I went and uh, uh, added in a kind of explanation for the, the snow in fiction, which ended up um, being this kind of really uh, cool element to the story. Now, one of the aspects of a roguelike, depending on your definition, is not just the randomness and the permadeath, but also turn-based actions. And the game is, in a way, turn-based in that it's not time-sensitive. You can take your time reading the menus. The one element of the game that is uh, real time is the battle system. How did that element of the game evolve? Uh, did you experiment with other models as the game was developed? The original um, idea for the uh, combat system, you know, that we knew that we wanted um, like a big part of uh, a, you know a dangerous sea exploration for people is uh, encountering pirates and uh, sea beasts, and we knew that we wanted um, that aspect of the game. Uh, in there, uh, it was originally conceived as a um, a sort of turn, a semi-turn-based uh, uh, combat system, uh, sort of akin to um, FTL. So the idea is uh, you would uh, queue up a series of attacks and then uh, respond to uh, 
uh, your enemy's attacks. And it was all about um, uh, keeping your enemy illuminated while trying to evade their attacks and get your own in. Um, and we we went into early access with this, um, and the we felt internally it was it was lacking something, uh, particularly atmosphere, which uh, was one of the key things we wanted to really nail in in Sun the Sea was that that sense of kind of like loneliness and uh, exploring this uh, this great unknown area, and there wasn't really any of that. So the combat system didn't support that. Um, and and so, and it, as a result, uh, it, it didn't get a, a lot of good feedback uh, from our um, from our early access players, um, and it was something we weren't happy with internally either. And after the success of early access, was, the response was uh, so much better than we'd anticipated. Uh, we felt that um, we could probably afford the time to uh, revisit the combat system and make some some changes. And our, our initial plan was to very much keep it the way that it was, um, but just, uh, you know, kind of like uh, file off some of the, the rougher edges and try and make it more exciting. But the more we, we attempted that, the, the more it seemed clear that uh, there was something that was, that was wrong about taking the players out of, the sailing experience, it kind of lost this immediacy. But we then had to kind of like put back in with uh, mechanics and it soon became very complicated and we decided to have to experiment with real-time combat um, and even the initial experiments, we were, we were surprised how much better it fitted in with the, with the tone of the game. It was a, it was a difficult balance to strike still. We didn't want something that Immediately felt like you were always sailing on a on a battleground, um, but uh, yeah, the it just sort of evolved out of uh, experimentation uh, and kind of like feedback, like initial feedback from um, people in early access. Uh, so yeah, it's um, it was a lot more. It was a lot more of a kind of uh, traditional term, um, like real time. Uh, combat system than we had envisaged for it, but uh, it really just felt like it it fitted the game that Sunglassy had developed into by that point. Now, you mentioned the success of Early Access. This game was released via that model on July 1st, pending a February 6th, 2015 release. <laughs> In those several months, how else did the game evolve? You, what kind of feedback did you get from players that you incorporated into the final release? There were kind of, uh, there were a couple of like key um, areas. Um, I mean, one thing that people just kept on saying was they wanted um, more stories, and that's exactly what we wanted to give them anyway. But uh, I think our our original estimate for the amount of content we'd write, I think we far exceeded that, mm. um, and uh, people were still hungry for more. Um, the the sense of difficulty. Um, uh, it's it started off. We we very much wanted it to start off as about the hardest iteration of the game that there would be, and then over time we would sort of loosen the screws in the right places. So uh, so that that slowly happened, and we had there were specific things that people felt were um, uh, particularly kind of cruel. Uh, terror was at at first mm. um, a very very dangerous mechanic. 
Um, and so we kind of, uh, we, we sort of like made that a little more gentle. But in addition, we gave players much better feedback on what was affecting their terror. It was originally, um, it was, it was, you sort of had to guess given the kind of uh, rough environment that you were in, what was affecting your terror. But we started giving people better uh, visual cues for that. Um, I would say probably the biggest change was the uh, legacy system, which um, at first was pretty unforgiving. If you died, you could choose a new map uh, or keep your old one, or you could take one of your officers. And then that was about it. And we slowly uh, built this system that allowed you to leave a little more behind for uh, each of your um, following captains, if you were smart about it um, when you were playing the game. So you can create a will and you can, uh, you can have children and uh, they, will, they will inherit your goods or, or whoever you pass um, your goods onto will inherit them. And there are items throughout the game which are difficult to find but will give you like permanent increases to your stats. So it stopped it being this hard reset, and instead uh, it kind of created this sense of uh, continual progress throughout the legacies of your uh, your captains. Now, prior to the game being available on Early Access, of course, it went on Kickstarter for funding, and this was not Fail Better's first Kickstarter. You'd previously successfully fundraised for Silver Tree, a previous game on Kickstarter, but the Sunless Sea Kickstarter raised over had over four times as many backers as Silver Tree did. So to what do you attribute that show of support? I think, uh, I think there's certainly something to be said to the fact that we had done a Kickstarter before. By that point, I think we knew uh, much better how to do it. We spent a long time uh, uh, working prior to uh, the actual Kickstarter, mock-ups and prototypes. So even though we didn't, there wasn't a playable demo for Sunless Sea when we did the Kickstarter, but um, we had an awful lot of supporting material. And I think internally, we were very clear on on the vision, and so I think all the yeah. if you look at the um, the work that went towards the um, the Kickstarter internally, we had a good sense of how it would look, how it would play, and uh, that made communicating it to our our backers um, uh, much much easier. Uh, one of the things that helped was, um, like Liam said, we got a uh, some kind of running prototypes of Sunless Sea. So people could see what they were getting. And um, Sunless is a very visual game. The uh, uh, the art's done by our artist, uh, Paul Arendt, uh, and it's very lush. It's very beautiful. Um, and it really sells the atmosphere of sailing this uh, lonely, dark, subterranean sea. And um, I think that really resonated with people. And that's something that um, Silver Tree was another text game and it's quite hard to do sexy videos of text um there's you can you can make the words move quickly across the screen but that doesn't really help it doesn't create a sense of drama um but people could actually kind of see the videos for sunless sea and see what they were getting and um and decide if the the vision kind of resonated with them or not and uh, it obviously resonated with um uh, a lot of people 
Now this was quite a change for Fail Better Games from Fallen London being a browser-based game to Sunless Sea being a Unity-based downloadable game that you install through Steam. Did the company have to grow or expand and pick up new skills and employees to develop this expansion to this world? Um, it absolutely had to um, pick up new skills. Um, the, like you said, this is our first Unity game. Um, so uh, uh, a lot of the team had to uh, skill up to do it. We have grown as a result of um, Sunnessy's success. Um, but the way we tackled, uh, before we knew it was going to be a success, uh, the way we tackled the demands were we um, approached a number of uh, very talented, uh, very regarded regarded freelance writers to uh, write chunks of our content. Um, and because of the structure of Sunless Sea, with uh, you sailing between different aisles and each island having their different stories, that lends itself quite well to uh, uh, freelancer contributions um, because you can ask a freelancer to do a particular island and give them a brief for that island. Uh, and if there's a slight kind of change in tone between the islands, that's a good thing. That helps add diversity to the the game. Uh, in Fallen London, it's much more sort of all the content goes into the same pot, um, and uh, it's kind of more important to have a very consistent, even tone. Um, but Sunless Sea can bear a bit more differentiation. Um, so yeah, we went, made use of um, uh, uh, freelancers to um, help uh, contribute the Sunless Sea content. Although the bulk of it was um, still done by Alexis Kennedy, our CEO. Um, and some of those freelancers were uh, uh, people like Meg Janth, who wrote Around the World in 80 Days for Inkle, and Richard Cobbett, who's um, been writing about games for uh, years and years and years. Uh, and uh, yeah, we're really pleased with how the, uh, how the freelancers worked out. You mentioned that a lot of the story was still written by Alexis, uh, but you also, of course, contributed to that, being the senior writer. And I'm curious to know what sort of inspirations you drew from during your world-building process. For example, just broadly speaking, the fact that the game is set so much in the dark and that there there are unspeakable monsters lurking in the mist makes me think very much of Lovecraft and Cthulhu. So what sort of inspirations were you using? I should say that mo- I mostly work on um, I, I, did, I mostly work on Fallen London, but I did do some um, of the islands for... Uh, Sunless Sea. I did some of the ports and some of the companions. The world building process. So it's just part of the writing process. There's not like a separate phase where we've sat down and said, this is how all the world works. These are all the backgrounds. These are all the people. These are all the secrets. Because Fallen London started as a small browser game that Alexis was creating with Paul, our artist, uh, on his own. Um, and they built as they went. So they established some basic kind of facts about the setting. Um, and then as they wrote content, they added to it. Uh, and as the company took on more writers, um, uh, they started feeding into it as well. But the world process and the writing process, are the, they're absolutely intertwined. They're the same thing. You can't separate them. And uh, we always look to – our foremost inspirations, I think, are period ones. Um, so we, a lot of people mention Lovecraft, and I think it makes sense to me why, because there is this sense of eldritch horror to everything, and uh, there's quite a lot of tentacles. But I think in terms of the horror, Clark Ashton Smith is probably a bigger influence, and um, uh, the ghost stories of M.R. James. Uh, I'm trying to think of other major influences. I know for Sunless Sea, um, Alexis read a lot of Conrad, and uh, my brain's failing me, but the guy who wrote the Master and Commander series... Uh, but they're full of, of um, 
uh, uh, kind of dense nautical uh, research uh, as well. And, it, and we do a lot of factual research as well about about shipbuilding and uh, sailing and um, uh, the, the history of the period um, and the characters of the period as well. And quite a few, well, not quite a few, a few kind of historical characters appear in uh, Fallen London uh, in the Fallen London setting, often with different names. Are there any sailors on the Fail Better team? That is a good question. I don't think there are, but the offices are um, in Greenwich, uh, right next to the river, and there's like a port, uh, right. But you can see the port from the um, um, office window, uh, and the Cutty Sark, very famous ship, is sort of within walking distance. So there's a, a strong kind of nautical tradition, I think, to where Failbetter is based. Makes sense. Now, on the topic of world building, Fail Better Games also worked with Bioware on a browser-based prologue to Dragon Age Inquisition. I believe that game was called Dragon Age The Last Court. That's right. Were you involved in that project at, as, at all? Yeah, I was the main writer on that one. Uh, Alexis did the high-level design. I did the kind of implementation of the writing, most of the writing. Um, uh, that was really good fun. It was a bit of a delight to work on as well because we've been Bioware fans for years and years and years and years. So what was it like to play in somebody else's sandbox for a change? We've done that before. We've done, we did a project in partnership with um, uh, an author called Erin Morgenstern who wrote a book called The Night Circus, and we wrote a companion game for that. Uh, and we've done other projects in other people's sandboxes as well, so we're kind of used to it. It was especially fun doing it in the Dragon Age setting. Bioware was so open to us contributing to the setting. We got to invent a, like a whole new part of uh, Orlais, and um, they were incredibly open about sharing access to their um, uh, documentation about the setting, um, answering our questions when we had them, um, uh, kind of checking when we had dialogue that was from like a, a major established character of the series. Um, someone at Bioware would check it to make sure it was in character and didn't violate anything. So it was a very close, uh, a very close and satisfying collaboration. I've read The Night Circus. I had no idea you'd worked on a game for that. Is it still available yes. online? I don't think it is at the moment. No, it was like a promotional thing when the book came out. Um, I don't think it's available right now. Oh, that's too bad. The author was, uh, I think when she wrote the book, she lived in Boston, Massachusetts, which is where I'm calling from. Oh, really? So there's a, not that she necessarily used any of the setting of Boston, but just knowing that I was supporting a local author made it all that much more enjoyable. Yeah, it's a great book. It's lovely. Yeah. yeah. When... Sunless Sea went on Kickstarter. It was on Kickstarter in September 2013 with an estimated ship date of May 2014, judging from the early access model, which the game came out July 1st, 2014. You were only about a month behind. Was that about the schedule you were anticipating? Because I know that Kickstarter games have a really bad track mm -hmm. record for shipping on time. And at this point, it's almost to be expected, so it's not yeah. all that surprising. But what was your experience with setting out that timeline and then adhering to it? I think um, I'll, I'll kind of broaden that and say I think all games have got a bad track record for being released on time. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> it's particularly obvious in Kickstarters because you have to say when you've expected releases and uh, and things tend to slip. Uh, it did take us longer than we um, expected, but partly that was because it got such support that it became a bigger game. I think the original idea for the game was probably, I, don't, I think it was like a third of the amount or half the amount of content. It was, yeah, less than half the amount of content it ended up with. Anyway, it grew because people, as a result of the uh, feedback and the interest, uh, I think. I'm trying to think of particular challenges faced along the way. Um, revamping the combat system was a um, 
big and unplanned thing um, that required uh, sort of scrapping a chunk of work and then starting a whole new, quite daunting set of work from scratch. And uh, Liam led that and did an amazing job, I think. Uh, but yeah, that certainly wasn't part of the initial plan. And there's, um, I think, one of the ongoing challenges. I guess there was a lot of the the challenges were a result of the size of it. So um, there's a massive amount of art in Sun the Sea, and it's all done by one person. Paul Aaron did, did every single island, every ship, every illustration of the port, every character, every single bit of it. Um, so he's been drawing like a maniac for um, the, the whole period. Um, and when we were writing the content, um, we had this... Uh, huge quantity of content so um we approach these talented freelancers to help us do it and but then the more people you've got working on it the harder it is to keep everything meshing together um and one of the key things about sunless sea is the stories kind of stretch across different islands so you go from place to place and as you the um story is one of the rewards for exploring i guess is what i'm saying um so we want lots of um, stories that uh, aren't completed on a single island. We want you to travel around and, and, and see the world uh, and see how it all links together. Um, and, and maintaining that level of interconnectivity was quite a challenge. And I think the way that we overcame it was there were certain classes of stories that were... Um, so while each island had its own story, which could be quite self-contained but then your officers who you can recruit have their own stories as well and their stories always take you to multiple islands and you'll go somewhere and there'll be an interaction with your uh, officer and a choice to make and then they'll send you to other places um so those stories um naturally help kind of string people um uh, from place to place uh, and kind of provide this um, connective tissue to the whole game, I think. I would love to explore more of the islands, but in the first few hours I've been playing the game, I've learned that I'm not very good at it. I am continuously running out of not only fuel, but especially food, and I know I can butcher some of the monsters I defeat for food, but just being able to gain enough currency or echoes to be able to buy the supplies I need in port is proving really challenging. What sort of strategies or tips would you recommend for first-time players to make it farther into the sea so it's a tough game but there are some uh, there are some helping hands um in the uh, in the early stages of it that should should help so the first thing is make sure you visit the admiralty and get a commission to go and find a port uh, and the initial ports they ask you to find will be fairly close by and then the more of the game you've played the the, the more they'll start to ask you to go somewhere else um, if you can fulfill an admiralty commission that gives you a big chunk of rewards and the other thing to make sure you do is each time you call it an island, collect a port report, because when you go back to London, the Admiralty will give you fuel and supplies and sometimes money or other rewards for each port report you bring back. Um, so try to plot kind of um, sort of circular routes that will take you past um, uh, several islands uh, on your uh, on your journeys. And you can use those port reports to kind of mostly cover the operating costs of your journeys. Uh, so, yeah, make strong use of those. Uh, when you find weird stuff out in the game, like when you find stuff from um, beating monsters or are rewarded from it, uh, are rewarded with it for doing stuff on islands, um, there's a character in London, um, the Alarming Scholar, who will buy quite a lot of it uh, at quite good prices. Um, so when you need money, always make sure to 
visit him and see if he'll take anything off your hands. And lastly, there's an a character who will approach you. I think the first time you return to London, um, it might even be the very first when you start in London, actually. And he will ask you, offer you a. Uh, he actually he will just give you a load of supplies and fuel to start with, uh, and then later he will offer you a job of how can we put this um, questionable morality. You don't have to accept that job when he offers it. You don't have to turn him down. You don't have to say yes. You can just ignore the offer for the time being. Um, but if you are struggling in the uh, early phases, it's worth taking his initial gift. Uh, and then um, once you've uh, explored and, and kind of explored a chunk of your map and you know your way around a bit, then it's worth going back and accepting his second commission. It's worth kind of, w- once you've got a, a a certain kind of foothold in the game, you start being able to provide kind of insurance for yourself. You can build a mansion that you can keep some of your belongings in. You can uh, pass more of your wealth down to your uh, next captains. You can um, uh, have an uh, arrange for an heir that uh, inherits, so that you pass you leave more behind when you when you go. Um, so once you've kind of broken through uh, the that early barrier, things will get a bit easier in the early game as well. Excellent, thank you. I, even though some of those tips may seem obvious, I think I overlooked the obvious stuff. I think I'm so accustomed to games where you can just dive right in and start playing that I may have rushed out of London that first time. And yeah, there's a lot in London <laughs> when you start off. There's a lot to look at. So uh, yeah, I think I think it's not unusual that people miss quite a few of the um, the helpful options in there. Sunless Sea is an expansion on the world of Fallen London. Are we going to see this world continuing to grow, such as through expansions, DLC, sequels, or more spin-offs? We're beginning to work on uh, an expansion called uh, Zubmariner, um, which I can't say much else about, but um, uh, we're planning that uh, at the moment. Um, and I believe there's more. We've released a few, quite well, quite a few um, content patches to on the sea already um it's quite easy for us to release i say quite easy yeah it's quite easy for us to release new stories on islands and things obviously it's difficult to write them and everything but we it's it's easy to get them in the game it doesn't take a full um a a whole new patch uh to do that you there's a a a button in the game you can use to get any new stories we've uploaded um and i believe there's some more of those um and i think we've there's there's uh, a a small uh, a small update almost ready to go. I think it's in testing at the moment uh, that will add some um, uh, uh, new twiddles to the game. And um, there's some more content that I think will go out for Kickstarter back as soon. And I'm pretty sure there'll be some more uh, general content released at some point as well because we really like working on it. Excellent. Well, I look forward to learning more about the world of Fallen London and Sunless Sea. So this game is available now through Steam, and it can be found through failbettergames.com. And mm-hmm. Failbetter is on Twitter at Echo Bazaar, I believe. Is that correct? Uh, yes, we've got two. Echo Bazaar is our Fallen London uh, account, and I think we've got a Failbetter Games Twitter account as well. Excellent. And where can we find you online if somebody wants to follow you? Uh, I'm also on Twitter at uh, CH Gardener. 
very good, sir. Well, thank you, Chris, for your time. And for Liam, I understand he had some connectivity issues and had to drop out, but I appreciate him dialing in for the first half of the call. We look forward to hearing more about Sunless Sea. Thank you. Thank you very much. This has been Indie Cider, a GameBits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at IndieCider.net. You'll find that uh, I use um, nautical terms a lot. I think I probably have always been prone to doing that. But since we started Sunless Sea, it's kind of gone into overdrive and it's almost completely unavoidable now.